0: There's no place I'd rather be than here with you this morning. I'm honored to get to preach and teach God's Word to you this morning. Just uh, two quick announcements um, as we move forward in this morning's service. Uh, remember, we have um, said we are going to fast every, the first Monday of every month. That's tomorrow. Uh, and what I'll do is at the beginning, I'll ask us to pray for uh, one thing tomorrow, I'd ask us to fast and pray for a lift as they start, as Miss Patty starts uh, with those ladies. They will be uh, walking through the Bible study, experiencing God. It's a 13 weeks series, so let's pray for them that they would have an experience with God through that Bible study as Miss Patty leads them. Also, many of you have asked about my friend B.J. Uh, he came and did our revival this past uh, year, and he asked for prayer as he was starting OTS. I got some. Text messages from last Sunday. He's doing well. Uh, He covets your prayers. If you would like to write him, he'd love letters. Uh, You can come find me after the service and I'd be uh, glad to give you that address. I know many of you have asked how he's doing and he'd love to hear from Powell's Chapel. Uh, So let's do that for him. We are going to continue our series here in Genesis chapter 9. Just a few more uh, weeks and we will be done with... Uh, This first section of Genesis chapters 1 through 11. Remember, we're calling it origins. It's where all of our theology, all of our thoughts about who God is and what God has done with us and for us come from these first 11 chapters. We're in the middle of Noah. We're coming to the tail end of his life. We'll see that in this passage this morning. So we're wrapping up the life of Noah. There's many things that we can see and say about Noah that we can Lean from, that he was a righteous man, that he walked blameless with the Lord. And then this morning, we'll see uh, a turn of events, if you will, in his life, a tragedy, if you will. And I want to look at those things, but I want to look at uh, several things this morning in light of this passage. Uh, They'll be on the screen, but where we're headed this morning is this. God keeps His promises. Sin leads to sin. The blessing and the curse, or the curse and the blessing, and finally, the promise fulfilled. So let's look here at the first point. Remember, he had just come off the boat, off the ark, and he gets out of the boat, and before he does anything, he worshiped God. He sets up an altar, and he gets to praise God. And in praising God, God made a covenant with Noah, and he set it in a sign, a rainbow in the sky. And the covenant is, hey, I've made some promises with you and for you. And so God first and foremost keeps His promises. We see that here in the first two verses 18 and 19. It says this, Then the sons of Noah went forth from the ark, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And these men were the men, or the sons of Noah, and out of these three men, Uh, You may have in your Bible, this is how the world got repopulated. Remember, the promise of God from Genesis chapter 1 was the promise to Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply. And out of that multiplication would be a seed that would come and bring salvation to God's people. Well, then all of a sudden, God is angry with the people He's made and He wipes them all off the face of the planet. Well, how is God going to keep His promise if there's no one to keep the promise? Right. So God now says, okay, now I'm going to send you out of the ark and I'm going to take my promise back in Genesis 1 and apply it to you, Noah. And out of Noah, the seed will come that we'll see even this morning come all the way some 3,000 years later in Christ. The promise of God is this, that God will send and redeem his people, and he will do that through a person named Jesus. But here's what we also see in this text about God keeping his promise. We see that God cares for the nations. God has a heart for people. We, we see that. that. Even though God was angry with his people, he still has a heart for his people and he multiplies the people. And so we see the heart of God out of these three men that's where we'll see the world has been repopulated all of us somehow some way can be traced back to these three men god has a desire and a concern for his people the other thing we see in god keeping his promise is this i think this gets lost so often that though god cares he does care for his people it also shows us that all people are equal I could sit here and show you how African-Americans come from this line, us as white people come from this line, and the Jewish people come from this line. All races come from these three lines. And so we see from the very beginning when God recreates what He had destroyed, He's going to show us, I care, no one's more important than anyone else. Man, has that got lost. Red, yellow, black, and white. They're all what? Precious to His sight. And somehow, we've come so far from that. But yet we see the equality that God has created. Why is all men equal? It's not because our founding fathers said that in a document. It's because God was true to His Word when He said in Genesis chapter 1, let us make what? Man in whose image? So all of God's people All of humanity, red, yellow, black and white, are created in one image. It's not the pigment of your skin. It's the heart that God has placed in us. We are created in the image of God. So if God cares for all people, and I could just camp out here this morning. We as God's people are to care for all people. If God has a heart for the nations, we ought to have a heart for the nations. That is why I'm so grateful for this church and what we do with Operation Christmas Child. That is a heart for the nations. You heard the stats last week. Two million children. And I guarantee you this. Those two million children, they don't look like us. Like heaven is is not going to be a bunch of Caucasians. We will be the minority. Like the world is not full of white people, therefore heaven will not be full of white people. But what we will know is we were all created equal in the image of God, and we must care for those around the world. Is that true for us? We see that God keeps... His promises and calls us to do the same. Now to the meat of the passage. To where things go awry in Noah's life. Remember what it says about Noah. Noah was a blameless man and he walked with the Lord. Like of all the generations, of all the people of the world, God saw something in Noah and He chose Noah, a a faithful, blameless, righteous man that walked with Him. And God had kept His promises to Noah and God had called him off the boat and we see the righteousness of Noah and then He gives sacrifices to the Lord and then all of a sudden this happens. It's like one of those moments in the text that it's a head-scratcher. Like, how did Noah get from here all the way here? Because in this passage we'll see that Noah was not a righteous, blameless man who walked with the Lord. And it doesn't take long for Noah to get off center. And so the next text is this. Sin leads to sin. And Noah began to be a man of the soil. And he planted a vineyard. Remember, God had destroyed everything. And so now he calls... Noah to be the second Adam. Remember what he called Adam to do, to cultivate the land, to be a farmer of the land. So there was no farmer of the land and so God said to Noah, you need to farm the land. So he takes over where Adam had left off and the descendants of Adam had left off. And it says that he starts cultivating the land. Remember that everything on the earth had been destroyed. And so it says that Noah then plants a vineyard. Now, between verse 20 and verse 21 is probably about three to five years. Because it takes a vineyard from the moment you put a seed in the ground to you coming to full maturation to take the grapes off the vine and to produce wine. the, the horticulturalists say it's about three to five years. And so we see he, get, he gets off the boat, he worship God, he plants some seeds. And then somewhere three to five years later, he's as far away from worshiping the Lord as possible. And I, I began to ponder that gap in those two verses in my own life. And I pray that you would ponder them as well. So often where we start off is not where we finish. And I wonder what was happening in the life of Noah that where he started, a righteous, blameless man some five years later is not where he ends up. Just one decision, one choice, one something just altered Noah's life in there somewhere, somewhere. He decided, hey, he had this. I got this. We used to have this saying in our... Uh, my job at the recovery center, the famous last word, words of every addict are, I got this. And the moment they stop trusting in the Lord and they take trust into their own hands, it always leads to disaster. So somewhere in those five years, somewhere, no, stop pursuing the Lord with all of his heart, mind, soul, and strength. Somewhere, maybe he got bored. Somewhere, maybe he he just thought, man, I can just kind of coast. At this point in his life, he's 600 years old. And he's thinking, I can just coast on out. I'm probably not going to live much longer, so I'm just going to keep coasting. I'm not going to pursue the Lord like I, I did in my youth at 300. I wonder, church, for us, how many of us made a decision to walk with the Lord And we're at a place in our life that we're just coasting with the Lord. See, the moment we begin to coast is the moment we begin to get vulnerable. The moment you think you got this is the moment that Satan's going to pounce on you like no other. We don't got this. Because when we got this, I promise, Satan's got you. So somewhere along the line, He let His guard down. He rested on His past righteousness. He was resting on His past blamelessness. He was resting on yesterday's bread. But as we'll see in a few chapters in Exodus, no, no, we got manna just for today. But somewhere Noah thought, man, I got enough from yesterday for today. And then it says this, He planted a vineyard And then all of a sudden, it says this, he drank of the wine of the vineyard. And he got drunk. You see, the drinking wasn't the issue. I would even beg to say this, the drunkenness wasn't the issue. It was somewhere before the first Grapes got crushed in the wine that when Noah thought, I got this, there's the issue. See, just one degree. Just took one degree for for Noah from righteousness to unrighteousness and all of a sudden, we see a man drunk and naked in his tent. It's one degree decision away from all of our lives in this place to end up drunk and naked one decision and that one decision is simply this i don't need the lord that's the only decision one i make that decision in my mind in my heart i don't need christ today i got this man i'm headed to disaster and that's what happened to noah i would beg you in implore you, the drunkenness and the drinking were not the issue. It was a symptom to the issue. The issue was his heart had changed. And so Noah sins. He is lying in his tent naked. Now the thing about nakedness, you got to remember this about nakedness. What is the very first thing that happens after sin in the garden? What do they notice first? Their nakedness. Now, nakedness is not the problem. Nakedness is what it exposes. Nakedness is this. It it really leaves you with a place of vulnerability and being unprotected. And so we see in this story that Noah is now unprotected and somewhat shameless. That's what sin always does to us. It leaves us. Unprotected and shameless. I wonder how many of us this morning are spiritually naked this morning. Exposed and vulnerable. How many of us this morning are drunk on our own ideas. Drunk on our own, I got this. This morning. You are exposed. And you are vulnerable this morning. So there is Noah. There is his sin. Laying in his tent. Naked. And then all of a sudden, remember I said sin always leads to sin. If Noah had just kept walking with the Lord. And not have been exposed and naked in his tent it would not have left his son vulnerable to sin as well. And now all of a sudden we see Ham walk into the tent. And it says this, Ham saw his father naked. And his two other brothers were outside. Now you may wonder, well, there's a curse that's coming in chapter 25. Then what did Ham really do wrong? All he did was see his dad naked in a tent from his exposure. I would say this to you this morning. It wasn't what he saw. It's what he did with what he saw. See, seeing isn't the problem. It's what we do with what we see that becomes the problem. So here, Ham walks into the tent. He sees his dad naked. And what does it say in the text that he does? It says he turns around. You'll see it in the text. It says that he takes the garment that he's partially clothed with off. It says a garment, but the the Hebrew literally means the garment, where it says the brothers took a garment in chapter 9, 23, took a garment. It says really in the text, the garment, which means that Ham takes And exposes his father even more. Walks out the opening of the tent. And what we can read in the text is this. That Ham begins to make fun of his father. He begins to find light in sin. He begins to make fun and have jokes about sin. Now I'm guilty of that. I was studying this week and I thought, how many times do I laugh? at sin on the TV. Like, I know sin is sin, and yet there's somewhere in that TV that it brings me humor. That's what Ham is doing. And he's turning to his brothers to say, hey, let's make fun of our father. Let's, let's tease him. So Noah's sins brings sin to this son. His son then in turn says, hey, I'm going to continue this forward to my brothers. And so what happens is this. The sin of Ham is this. He dishonors his father. We'll see how that plays out in Exodus chapter 20 in the Ten Commandments. Remember what one of the fifth commandment is. Honor your father and your mother. So if you're a teenager in here, and there's several of you, look at me in the face. I'll wait till all the teenagers look at me in the face. Do not dishonor your parents. Do not make fun of them. Do not ridicule them. Do not get your siblings to make fun of them. Because we see in the text what happens there will be a curse placed on your life. Teenagers, hear me loud and clear. Honor. Your parents. You see, in that moment, Noah did not deserve honor. But yet, God causes, even when our parents do not deserve honor, we give them honor. It says they took and they made fun of them, and then the two brothers respond. The two brothers that Ham comes out to make fun of their father said they had this moment, hey, this is not alright. This is not okay for us to continue to sin with you. It's gotta stop here. And so the two brothers act in righteousness. Thank God the cycle of sin is broken in that moment. And they turn and they grab the garment which with their brother had taken from their father and they walk backwards making sure they don't see the nakedness of their father and they lay the covering over their father and walk out, not shaming themselves or their father. That is a very righteous act. You can play that forward some 3,000 years later to where Christ will cover your shame. That's what the sin does. It leaves us vulnerable and it leaves us naked and it leaves us with much shame. But thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, He covers our nakedness and our shame. Like the two brothers acted like a Savior to their Father to cover His shame and shows us what Christ has done and will continue to do for us. They not only respect their father, but they love their father. Even when their father did not deserve it, they love their father. As Christ has loved us, it says this in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers what? A multitude of sins. I wonder, church, for us this morning, how often does our love cover a multitude of sins? Do we really love each other? Now I know we say we'll pray for each other, but 99.9% of the time we say that, but we do it in a way that we bring gossip rather than love. And concern and to cover a multitude of sin, may we be a church that loves deeply, Here's what the writer David says in Psalm chapter 32, 1. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven and whose sins are covered. And Christ has giving us that ministry, a ministry of reconciliation is what Paul says. We get to partake in that process with the Lord Jesus. See, the great fear in this passage is this. There's two types of people in this world. Two types. Those who have been forgiven and those who have not. The question is, which are you this morning? Have you been forgiven? Because if you have been forgiven, you'll forgive much. If you haven't been forgiven, then you'll go on sinning and you'll bring other people into sin and the sin will continue. And that's where the curse comes from this morning. So Noah wakes up from his drunken stupor. It says this in verse 24. When Noah awoke from his wine, he knew what the youngest son had done. Now how does he know what his son had done? I believe that reveals to us Already, him's heart. If you're a parent here, you know when your kids do something before they even do it, and you know when they do it after they do it. Kids are not very bright in that way. I mean, let's be honest. We're not very bright in that way. I think I can get away with this one. And we have a Heavenly Father that says, I see it all. We can't get away with anything. Teenagers, that's true for you. And so, the heart of the Father knows the heart of the Son. And God the Father knows the heart of the youngest Son. And now, the curse comes from Noah, but it's a curse prophetically from God. Which is, again, I could camp out there. Even after His drunken stupor, God still desires to use Noah. No matter where you're at this morning, in your sin, God, if you are a child of God, He still desires to use you. And then it brings He brings on the curse. The curse is this: cursed be Cain. And like, man, that young man, he 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 got the raw end of the deal. Like, how does Ham's son, that wasn't even present in the moment, get the raw end of the deal? Because we know this to be true from Exodus the sins of a father play out four generations. That ought to scare us. It scares me as a dad. Like what I do is and will affect my kids, my kids' kids, and my kids' kids. Like What I do today will have a lasting effect for four generations. Anyone else shudder when they hear that? Because I do. And so God is looking threw Noah at this man and says, hey, all of your generations will be cursed because of what you did in that tent. And we see that to be true. The curse plays out. They do become the servants of the servants of their brothers. Remember, you can fast forward in the, New, the Old Testament, the Canaanites became the wicked enemies of the Israelites. And where did it start? Here in Genesis chapter 9. They become wicked, wicked enemies. They hate the Israelites. In this moment, division happens between these two brothers and it continues forward for, for thousands and thousands of years. And so, the first thing we see is this in this curse. It's the sins of a father affect Generations to come. The second one is this. This curse is prophetic in nature. But think, speak to God that it doesn't end with the curse. It ends with a blessing. And I'm going to come back. I want you to circle that word Canaan in your Bibles. I want you to write in the margin the Canaanites. Because I'm going to show you something even about this curse where God redeems the curse. And he says this, Noah to the two other brothers, blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and let, the Can- and let Canaan be his servant, and may God enlarge Jathath, and let him dwell in the tents of Shem, and let Canaan be his servants. I want you to go first and foremost, see who the blessing is for. This blessing, it doesn't say, I am going to bless Shem. It says, blessed be who? The Lord. The blessing from the Lord is to the Lord. Because He is fulfilling His promise that I am going to bless you, but in blessing you, I bless myself first because I'm going to fulfill my promises made back in Genesis 3, verse 15. I'm going to hold to that promise. Blessed be the Lord. The God. That means Yahweh. The word Yahweh in the text up until this point, has always had this connotation. It's a relationship between Shem and God. God is a relational God. Of all the names of God that Moses could use in that passage about God, he chooses the one word that means to be a friend with God. That's amazing to me. He says that again in verse 27. So God's blessing goes back to God's promises To be in loving relationship with God's people. Our highest blessing is to have a relationship with God and God alone. More than your spouse, more than your job, more than your kids, more than your house, more than your car. All those are blessings. But the highest blessing that God has bestowed upon us is the opportunity to be in right relationship with Him. Amen? And now we'll see. The, font, the, the promise is fulfilled. In verse 28 and 29. And after the flood, Noah lived 350 years, and the days of Noah were 950 years, and he died. And then in verse 1, it says these are the generations of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. The sons were born to them after the flood. Now if you'll turn with me Matthew Chapter One, I want to show you how the promise is fulfilled. This is the genealogy of Jesus. Writer Matthew is going to walk us all the way through. But I want to look at one person in this text, verse 5. Highlight this one name in your Bible. Rahab. We can piece together through this account and Luke's account. This all comes all the way to fruition to Noah. But there's this one name, Rahab, in the text. Remember, I said highlight the Cain, Cain the Canaanites in your Bible. You knew who was a Canaanite. Rahab. So, Jesus, through God, through Moses, back in Genesis chapter 9, makes a curse to the Canaanites. But because of Jesus, Jesus always takes cursing and turns them into what? Blessing. So, our Savior, the Savior of the world, has what in His blood? The curse. Remember, the curse is these people are going to serve their brothers. But now we see that Christ carries the curse in His blood, and that blood then is what? Poured out. And so God takes a curse, and through His Son, Jesus, turns that curse, the blood of the Canaanites, into a blessing for God's people. That blood that carried the curse became a blessing for us, amen. So even in that curse, the promise is fulfilled through Christ and Christ alone. And my question in closing to you this morning, into my self, is this: Have you seen how God has kept His promises? Have you seen how your sin leads to more sin? But the great promise is this. It can stop here today. It can stop when you receive the blood from the blessing and the curse. That's what Christ's blood poured out and shed for us does. Because in that blood being shed and poured out for us, it established what we would call a new covenant. Being in right relationship with God. But the only way to be in right relationship with God is to have God's Son's blood poured out on to you. Is that true for you? Or are you yet still remaining in the curse? If you remain in the curse, there is no blessing. But all of us in this room were once cursed. But when you placed your hope and faith, the blessing of Christ's blood redeems you and redeems me. Where have you placed your hope and faith this morning? Let us pray.